Amen. Thank you, Brian. We're going to start a two-week series entitled The Motivation for the Mission. I wanted to take a couple of weeks and look at what the motivation was for our mission as a church, and we are going to be looking a lot at the mission statement of our church over the next few weeks. The only break we will have from that will be January the 21st when I'm going to preach a message entitled Baptism, the Dangerous Doctrine. Baptism, the Dangerous Doctrine. And you'll have to be here to find out what that is about. We'll be looking at our mission statement, but over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at our mission statement. So this is what it says. This is what it says. In response to God's love for us through Jesus Christ, it is the mission of the First Baptist Church of Rosenberg to continue Christ's ministry of leading people to salvation in Him, discipling those who have chosen to follow Him, and loving for caring for all. And I, I added my words down there at the bottom. Can we all agree loving and caring for all means loving for caring for all like Jesus did? Everybody with me on that? Like Jesus did. Not like we would do or like the world would do, but like Jesus did. And what I want you to see as you take a look at this mission statement, what's it, what word or what idea is at the beginning of it and at the end? Love, is it not? It's the love of God that propels us, and it is love that ought to permeate us in what we're called to do. Love is essential to fulfilling the mission of the church and your mission as a Christian. Love is at both ends of that statement. It's your fuel and your motivation. Now, today when we look at this passage, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13. Now, if you need a Bible, these pew Bibles are there for you, and it's in page 800 of your pew Bible. So just one, if you need a pew Bible, you feel free to take that and use that if you need to. But when you think of 1 Corinthians 13, let me just ask you, and I think you're like me in this. When you think about 1 Corinthians 13, when do we normally hear that? Valentine's, weddings, weddings. That's one that we normally hear. Is that where you normally hear it? Weddings? That's what I do. Well, let me propose to you something. Let me ask you to think about something. If, if, this is, if this is the only sense that you have when you think of 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to ask you to expand your understanding of it. Because the love that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, it necessarily... Uh, the love that's being emphasized at a wedding. In fact, if we only hear the passage at a wedding, I believe we're, we're, it, it's an insult to the Word of God. I'm going to propose to you at the end of the sermon today that, that you not look at it from that point of view, but look at it from a totally different one. Now, let me, let me talk to you about where Paul is writing to. He's writing to the Corinthians. It's a church located in a sin-filled city. If there was a modern-day equivalent it would be Las Vegas or New Orleans, all right? And the church in Corinth was struggling to shrug off the pagan practices from which God had saved them. So Paul is talking to them, and he even says this at the end of verse 12, when he says, I want to show you a more excellent way, a more excellent way. So we're going to be taking a look at this chapter in two weeks, for two weeks. But let's look at 1 through 6 first, chapters 1 through 6, and let's stand in honor of God's Word, and let's take a look at the greatest motivation for anything in our lives, and that is the love of God. 
Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself and is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please just help me to say everything you want me to say. Help me to be clear in saying it. Help me to say it with a heart of love. And Father, help us to desire to adjust our lives accordingly so that we move in attitude closer to the love that you showed us through your son, the love that you showed us through the cross. And Father, I pray that you would help us to reflect on that and realize that there's no greater love that anybody can have than the love of God. So help us to focus on that love today, and we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Better than any special gifts, better than any special knowledge, love was key for them being the church. Not only was love key for them being the church, you're going to also find out next week that love is the key to spiritual maturity. When love, agape love, begins to function and transform and permeate your life. And here's the deal I want you to see. As an unbeliever, you're incapable of the love of God because the Spirit of God does not live within you. Now, you may exemplify the, the love-like qualities of God every now and then, but, but folks, a broke clock's right twice a day. Y'all with me on that? But when it comes to functioning consistently, living in the habit of doing it, you do not have the capacity to love like Jesus loved and love like God loves unless the Spirit of God is living within you. Because we even know from Galatians 5.22, the very first fruit of the Spirit that's born in a Christian life is what? Love. Love. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to automatically love like you should. Because you're still dragging around this thing called the flesh, are you not? And there's still temptations to be selfish. But I'm here to tell you, if you're a child of God, you can love greater than you've ever loved before if you'll allow the love of God to work through you. And if we're going to do what God has called us to do in this place, at this time in our lives, as a church and as believers, we need, need the love of God. We can't do this without it. So I want to challenge you today to think about love. Now let me explain to you what I'm not talking about with regard to love. I'm not talking about I love the Texans. Or I, are y'all with me? Okay. Or I love Whataburger. Although there are fond feelings for Whataburger. I'm not talking about I love my favorite TV show. I, and I'm not even sure that I'm necessarily talking about what can be familial love or 
or even romantic love. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about a love that is not a feeling. You understand, this is a kind of love that is not based on your whims and your feelings and, and how things are going a particular day. This is a love that does not love because of something. It loves in spite of something. Did y'all hear that? It's a love that loves not because of something, but in spite of things that are going on. It is a unique, special, and rare love. It's the love that originates from God, that flows over our lives through His grace and His mercy, and it is best exemplified through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. It is also the kind of love that we ought to have for one another. So I want to take a, take a hard look at this passage and see the kind of love God has for us and the kind of love God has called us to have. And I want to propose this to you. When this love is functioning in your life, the world around you will be changed for the better. So let's take a look at this overview first, because this is what we're going to look at today. First, you need to have the right kind of love. So we're going to take a look at three different types of love Scripture talks about. Then you can't do the mission without love. As a matter of fact, Paul seems to be saying you can't do anything worthwhile without love. And we'll look at some extreme examples he shares with regard to that. And then we'll move quickly as we can, but so I need your attention with regard to it. We want to see what real love looks like. If you were to clothe yourself in this real love, what would it look like in real life? So we'll take a look at that. And then we'll look one more time at the greatest example of love. So first, you need to have the right kind of love. Let's take a look at these three Greek words for love because in our language we do use the same word for love for hamburgers and football teams. But they had different words for love back then. The first is eros. It's the word we get erotic. It refers to sexual love. It refers to romantic love. This word is not used in the New Testament but it was commonly used in Greek literature and I want to propose simply that that is a selfish love. There are times when someone will say to somebody else or someone will say about something else, I love you or I love that. And what they really mean by saying that is, I really like what you're doing for me. That's what they're saying. Some young man or young lady looks at a guy or looks at a gal and they look at them and say, I love you. And they're not thinking sacrificial. They're not thinking self-denial. They're not thinking the cross of Christ. They're just thinking that person's good looking over there and they're making them feel really good. It's selfish. It's selfish. It can apply to romantic things, but it can apply to non-romantic things. That's eros. And then there's Phileo. As a matter of fact, there's a city here in America, Philadelphia. Anybody heard of that city? Philadelphia is the city of brotherly what? Love. City of brotherly love. So, so when you hear the word phileo used, it's an idea of a transactional love. It is a tender affection toward a friend or a family, and it's used commonly in the New Testament. It's used to express God's love for Jesus. And God's love for the individual believer, it's, it's used for Jesus' love for his disciples. He loves them like a brother. The word phileo is never used for your love for God, though. Do you know that? 
It's never used for your love for God. Now, this is an interesting passage. Do you remember when Jesus was sitting by the seaside with Simon after Simon had betrayed him and he'd been resurrected? And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know I love you, Lord, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Well, you know I love you, Lord, then, then feed my sheep. Did you know he used, Jesus used different types of love words? We don't see it in our language. Trying to get Peter to move from just loving Jesus as a brother to loving him with that final love, agape love, which is a selfless love. Because that's what God wants from us. Because that's what God has given us. That's what Jesus wants from us. Because that's what he's given us. Will you love him not because of what he's done, but will you love him sometimes in spite of the fact that you don't know what he's doing? Will you love him unconditionally? He loves you unconditionally. That word agape is a rare word. Rarely used outside of the Bible. It was used by believers to denote the special, unconditional love of God. Sometimes it's used interchangeably with the, the second word to designate God's love for Jesus. And God the Father's love for an individual believer and Christ's love for his disciples. Beloved, love one another as I have loved you. And 1 Corinthians 13 is not about eros. And 1 Corinthians 13 is not about phileo. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about agape. It's that special kind of selfless love when myself is no longer put in the picture and it's all about what brings greatest benefit to others. Now, beloved, if you think that's easy, you're crazy. It's hard. Walking in the Spirit and seeking to live a life purely by the love of God is difficult. And you'll see why as we look into these characteristics. But biblical love has God as its object, God is its true motivator, and God is its source. It is the initial fruit of the Spirit. It is not directed toward the world or the things of the world, and its ultimate example is Jesus Christ. So we have eros, phileo, and agape. Which love do you believe the world is talking about when they talk about love? It's not agape. It's not agape. But which love are you called to have as a believer? Agape love. I think that's why Jesus said they will know you are Christians by your love for one another. When you live that selfless, Christ-like love, you leave a mark on the world in which you live. So, I want you to have the right kind of love. It is unconditional, it is special, it is sacrificial, it is selfless. So understand that as we look at our motivation for doing this mission, we're looking at a specific type of love that you as a believer ought to possess. So do you? You need to have the right kind of love, but you also cannot do the mission. You cannot do this mission without that love. Paul gets very extreme. He uses some extreme examples. So let's just walk through them. Agape love is essential for, and vital for doing anything worthwhile. That means we can't start or sustain our mission, your mission, without love. 
So here's these examples. And how you can do all the right things, do them well, and if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. First, he says, Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I become an astounding brass and a clanging cymbal. I thought about touching base with Brian at the last part of the week and getting a pair of cymbals, but aren't you glad I changed my mind? <laughs> think about the best. But did you know when somebody speaks, think about a motivational speaker. Think about the best speaker you've ever heard. Think about maybe it's a political candidate, a football coach, maybe a preacher, maybe an evangelist. You might have been moved by what they said and the passion with which they said it. They may have been made one of the talking heads on TV. Just You love listening to this person, someone on the radio. But do you know, according to Paul, if they have everything eloquent and perfectly said and everything's right, if the agape love is not in what they said, Paul said it isn't worth anything. That's how important this agape love is. If agape love is not there, it doesn't matter. Then he goes on to say, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love. Listen to what he says. He says, I am nothing. Think about the wisest person you've ever met or the smartest person you've ever heard. This person is your go-to person for advice in life or you need to know any information. You've got this person who you can talk to, the sage who has all these, these gifts of prophecy and understands the things of life you don't understand yet. And, and even think about this concept of faith. Think about the knowledge, though. Think about all this knowledge, all these, this gift of speaking and knowledge, spiritual things. But Paul says, Paul says, the Bible says, yet without agape love, none of it matters at all. That can't be right, Brother John. Well, it is, according to God. Think about the greatest leader you've ever seen, somebody who's either eternally optimistic or, and or has great convictions about them. Maybe some woman who is incredibly a wife who's been faithful to her husband or her children, yet, yet doesn't have that agape love. Do you know that Paul even said you can have great faith? Think about this. He said you can have great faith, knowledge, and wisdom, but if you do not have that agape love, it, it not just you can't do anything, he said you are nothing. You know, the temptation is to think if you're a great speaker or you got all this knowledge, you know what that makes me? Hey, I'm somebody. Paul says, if you'll pardon my Mississippi accent, he says, son, you ain't nothing. You think he's somebody, but if there's no agape love in the mix, you're not anything. Think about how much we have done that truly in God's eyes, and aren't those the only eyes that really matter? We've done in God's eyes that have amounted to nothing simply because it lacked agape love. Though I bestow all my goods... To feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. We live in a world where doing charitable deeds is almost celebrity type of thing. But according to the word of God, it's nothing. And what about the martyr who burns his body, sacrifices himself? Paul says, void of agape love, it's nothing. And I want you to think about this. We're all very competent people here. 
many of you have accomplished great things in your life, but if you have done these without agape love, which is the kind of love that God has for us, then you are nothing, they are nothing, and they profit nothing. Now, beloved, that sounds pretty serious to me. I see some interesting expressions out there. Folks, this is a big deal. I propose to you one of the reasons church isn't flourishing in America like it needs to today is because maybe we've lost the love factor. So let's look at the last one. You can't do the mission without love. And you need to know what this love looks like. So let's look at these 10 qualities very quickly. Stay with me. I'll have you out of here in due time, I promise. But listen, love suffers long and is kind. Suffers long means you put up with other people's offensive actions for their sake, even though you are well within your right to execute judgment on them. When people hurt us, we want to hurt them back. And long-suffering says we have the right to. But agape love says wait and do nothing and instead show kindness. Kindness here is to show generosity and grace, even and especially toward those who've been selfish to us, ungrateful toward us, and done us evil deeds. It is a good response in the face of an evil act. It is praying for those who talk about you and care for those who are your enemies. It does not envy. Love does not envy. People who envy quarrel with one another. They remain angry with one another. They get into competition with one another. It is more important for the envious person to win the argument than the person. To this agape love says stop. Stop with the competition and the quarreling and the I've always got to be right attitude. Stop. Love doesn't look like that. Love does not parade itself. To parade yourself is to promote yourself. It's, do you know of someone who always talks about themselves? Are you that person? It is a need to let everybody else know what you've done. I did this. I did that. It may be rooted in insecurity or delusions of grandeur, but if it's not motivated by agape love, and when agape love overflows into your life, you can tell because it will shut down self-promotion real fast. Love is not puffed up. This is really selfishness of heart. If I have such an inflated view of myself, I cannot truly build a significant relationship with another person or God. I'm in trouble. I would keep getting in my way. We all realize and detest this when we see it in others, but I think we are sometimes a little blind to see it in ourselves. It is a perception of ourselves which is greater than reality. Love does not behave rudely. This is to act in a shameful way fashion it's to act indecently in other words agape love has good manners it causes us to choose appropriate actions that help others we are living in a day one writer called the renaissance of rudeness did you know that it's a day we're living in the world needs agape love love that does not seek its own Love never seeks its own self-interest ahead of the other person. It always puts others first. It is interested most in what can benefit the other person before what can benefit 
itself. This was Jesus coming down to earth for us. Not for our own self-interest, not for his own self-interest, but for ours. Love is not provoked. Love never gets upset, irritated, or stirred to anger. Agape love never says, I've had enough. When you get that feeling or urge or desire to act like that, allowing other people to push your buttons, remember that is not agape love. Love thinks no evil. Love never keeps records of evils done unto it. It doesn't mark down again when someone does something to offend it. Agape love forgives and forgets and even calls out to God to erase the offense from his ledger. But understand, number nine, love does not rejoice in iniquity. Agape love is never glad when unrighteousness is done. What is unrighteousness? Unrighteousness is that which violates God's divine law. If righteousness is doing that which makes us right with God, then unrighteousness is that which puts us in a wrong relationship with God and out of fellowship with Him. Agape love doesn't rejoice in this. Although agape love is forgiving, agape love never celebrates sin. Y'all with me? And the last one, it rejoices in the truth. Agape love is glad about truth. Jesus is the truth. Agape love rejoices over Jesus. God's word is truth. Agape love rejoices when men and women read the word and are led to truth. Agape love rejoices in the work of the Holy Spirit, for it's the Holy Spirit of God which guides us into all truth. And agape love rejoices in truth because through truth, men and women are set free indeed. So this is what real agape love looks like. Does it bear any resemblance to you? We have a mission as a church and Christians, and that mission is surrounded by agape love. We need to have the right kind of love. We need to understand we can't do the mission without love. And we need to understand real love looks a certain way. So I want to challenge you to do something. The next time you hear 1 Corinthians 13 and the word love, don't think about weddings. Think about the cross. Because God demonstrated his love toward you that while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. Agape love. Can't do the mission without it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would please help us, Lord, to see how we need to be faithful to the mission that you've called us to. Help us to see where our agape love is lacking. Help us to see the characteristics that are missing, missing in our lives and how we can be loving in the way that your son was loving toward us. Father, I pray that we'll seek that love more than anything else in our own lives, no matter what glory we personally may be setting aside, no matter what reward we may be missing in this life, knowing that we'll be loving like you loved. And if there's somebody here today, Lord, that hadn't experienced that love, pray they'll do it today. 
Or do we know this love's impossible apart from thee? Lord, teach us to love. In your name we pray. Amen.